Please keep open that passage that we just read together from John chapter 14. I'm going to be thinking particularly today about verse 6. We've, uh, over the course of several communion seasons since I became your pastor, we've looked at these I am sayings of Jesus. And we come to another one today in John chapter 14 and verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is the climax of the Gospel of John. And the whole reason John has written his book comes down to the words that we find in this verse. This is why he has included passages with Jesus performing miracles and making remarkable statements and teaching his followers. This is why Jesus is headed for death in Jerusalem. This is the good news that he came to preach. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you're a Christian this morning preparing to come to the table to commune with Christ, you know in your soul that these words are true. It gives you a peace and a joy and a satisfaction today that that nothing else can. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, something within us, the Spirit of God, uh, when, we, when we really know Christ, he, he reassures us about these things. When we hear the Scriptures proclaimed, when we lift up our voices in praise to God, when we hear God's Word read, when we come to the table, we might not be able to express all that these things mean to us. There might still be things that we need to better understand. But we know in our souls that these things are true. And so I trust it will do us good to consider these words of Jesus together before we come uh, to take bread and wine uh, in, a, in a short time. Let's remind ourselves of where and when Jesus said these things. It's the Passover week in Jerusalem. Jesus is with his 11 disciples who are growing more and more anxious and perhaps confused, perhaps even frustrated as they listen to Jesus and the things that he's saying in these hours uh, late at night. We saw on Friday evening how Jesus takes time here to reassure his disciples and promises them that although he is leaving them, they know where he is going. And look at how Thomas responds to that in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the sixth of uh, Jesus' seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. The words truth and life are important, of course, but, but the way the language is here, the main thing that Jesus is saying is, I am the way. John has already shown in his Gospel how Jesus is the truth. Uh, John gives what he describes as seven signs that Jesus did, seven miracles throughout his gospel. And those miracles, like turning the the water into wine and raising people from the dead and so on, uh, those things are, are proof that Jesus is telling the truth, that he himself is the truth. John in his gospel has also proven that Jesus is the life. In John chapter 11, of course, he raised Lazarus back from the dead. And so he gave their proof that he is the resurrection and the life. 
And now here's Thomas asking Jesus how the disciples can know the way to where he is going to be with the Father. And Jesus essentially says to Thomas, the way to heaven is standing right in front of you. I am the way. I want to think first of all this morning about the fact that this is an exclusive way. And we'll spend uh, most of our time or uh, more of our time on this point than the subsequent ones. Uh, What Jesus says here, he is the way. He is the exclusive way, the only way. Um, In 2004, which I suppose is almost 20 years ago now, which is beginning to make me feel a bit older. But in 2004, some of you might remember a very popular TV show that began called Lost, fictional TV show. And it was about a group of people from all over the world who were in a plane crash. And somehow they all survive this plane crash and they find themselves on a very strange and mysterious island. And the show was quite interesting because it would most weeks focus in on just one of the characters and something would happen to them on the island. But at the same time, you begin to see flashbacks from their life before they came to the island. And, uh, and so there were American atheists, there were Nigerian Christians, there was an Iraqi Muslim, there were people from all different ethnicities and cultures and religions, uh, different characters in this TV show. It went on for six years. It had mixed reviews. But in the very last episode of Lost, in in a sort of dreamy vision, the characters were all together in a church building. And at the front of the church, there was a stained glass window. One section of the window had the Islamic symbol of a half moon and a star. Beside that was the Jewish Star of David. Under the Star of David was a cross. Beside the cross was a black and white yin and yang symbol of the Taoist religion. There was a Buddhist Dharma wheel underneath that and a symbol for Hinduism beside that. And suddenly the message of the TV show was very clear for anyone who had missed it so far. Whatever you believe, we're all going to be together in the end. That's not the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't say my cross is worth a sixth equal share on a window. He doesn't say I am one of a number of perfectly valid options. He doesn't even say I am the best way or I am a way. He says I am the way, the only way, the exclusive way. No other religion or person or idea or philosophy can bring us to God. Ultimately, all of them are about us and what we have to try and do to get to God. That's what every other religion has in common. Whereas Jesus says, I am the one who has come to you. I am the son of God who has come to you. Remember, remember several years ago attending an AsiaLink meeting that focused on the country of Bhutan, maybe some of you have heard the the AsiaLink presentation on Bhutan. Uh, Bhutan has a particularly harsh and demanding version of Buddhism as its dominant religion. Little Bhutanese boys as young as six are taken to Buddhist monasteries for the rest of their lives to mumble and memorize sayings of the Buddha, hoping to earn righteousness for themselves and their families. Old people in Bhutan spend their days walking around statues, repeating sayings of the Buddha over and over, or spinning prayer wheels, all 
to please the Buddha and hopefully enter into a more blissful next life. There was one old man interviewed as part of this, uh, part, of, part of a video about this, and this old man said that he had walked around one particular shrine in his city 80,000 times. And you see, in the end, friends, every false religion preaches the same message. You need to do things. You need to try and make yourself good enough, and then really you can only hope for the best. Roman Catholicism, as it is still taught by the authorities of that church, distorts the message of the gospel by saying that both faith and good works are needed for salvation. It's not enough that Jesus died once on the cross, offered up his flesh and blood once and finished it, but rather that the church will continue to sacrifice his literal flesh and blood again and again each week in the Mass, and you must be there to receive it. Islam will say, pray five times per day, go to Mecca, keep the high holy days, and Allah might have mercy on you, but he might not. Judaism, which has become really more of a cultural identity for many Jewish people today, they're they're proud of their history, they want to preserve that identity and heritage. But for many of them, the reality is that they're, they're not... They're not particular about keeping the tenets of the Jewish religion. The Jewish religion as it is described and commanded in scripture cannot be kept fully anymore. The temple is gone. And so for many Jewish people, it's just the fact that they are Jewish. That that is good enough and sets them apart from everyone else. These things all amount to the same thing, friends. Try your best. Make yourself good enough and Even people who would claim no religion have a religion of some kind. Whether it's secularism or humanism that makes it all about ourselves and our own goodness and rightness. Contributing to society, working hard, whatever it may be. And all of these things, friends, they either lead to pride. Because people end up thinking, well, I'm better than so-and-so because I do this or I have that identity. Or they lead to despair. Because you're never at the point where you've done enough. In Bhutan, it's mainly the very oldest people who are walking around the shrines and mumbling prayers and spinning the wheels. Why? Because as they come to the end of their life, they are suddenly in despair. 80,000 laps of the shrine is pretty good, but 85,000 would probably be better, wouldn't it? Or 90,000 or... 100,000. Whether you live in the Dramara Hills or the Himalayas of Bhutan, false religion is all just the same. Here are some things to do to make your way to God. Jesus comes and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Imagine you're in a burning building. The smoke is blinding you and suffocating you. You've been running up and down endless corridors. You can't get out. You're lost. You don't know where to turn. But then the architect appears. He grabs you by the arm. He whisks you off your feet. He takes you directly to the only exit available. And he knows where it is because he's the architect. That's Jesus Christ. 
Not a lofty, distant, hard-hearted deity that leaves us anxious or stressed or proud or despairing, wondering how do we get to where we need to be, whether we've done enough, whether we're good enough. He comes to us. He carries us. He shepherds us right to where we need to be. He is the way. Today, those of us who are believers, who are members of the visible church, we're going to take the bread and wine into our bodies as symbolic reminders that if we're Christians, we are united to Christ. It's not that we need to go off finding the way each day. We, we have the way. We are in the way. We are in Christ. And it reminds us too, as we take that bread and wine, that we do not depend on prayer wheels or good works or where we've been or what, we're, what we've done. Christ and what he has done is our way. And of course, Christ, the way, must be proclaimed to this world. His, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection. Paul says, in taking the bread and wine, we are uh, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And we proclaim it as we preach. We proclaim it as we witness. We proclaim it as we gather for worship, that Christ is the way. But of course, this presents a problem because for many people in our culture today, this exclusive claim of Jesus is offensive and intolerant. In a society that has turned away more and more from the scriptures, it's become very fashionable for people to say things like, well, you know, I think it's arrogant to suggest that one religion is right and all the others are wrong. That's, that's a very arrogant thing to say. Or someone says you can't claim to know enough to make the claim that Christianity is exclusively right. No religion can do that. Well, I put it to you, friends, that to say that no religion is better than any other religion, that's actually a religious statement in itself. That's a, that's a statement of faith in itself. It might be very offensive to some people for us to claim that there is only one true religion, one way to heaven. But if you go to most other parts of the world today, they would find it very offensive to say that one religion is no better than another. If you were to go to Saudi Arabia, for example, or to Bhutan, and see what people there think about the idea that no one religion is better than any others, they would find that extremely offensive. To believe that no one religion is better than any other religion is a belief in itself. It's a... It's a it's a, a faith statement in itself. It's what someone says who is hoping that they themselves are good enough by themselves. That they themselves perhaps are their own God. That their own way of living is all they need to trust in. Everyone lives by a way. We have a way of living, we have a way of believing, we have a way of looking at the world. Jesus is saying that he is the way. That's the exclusive claim that Jesus makes about himself today. Here's how Jesus can make that exclusive claim. It's because he has exclusive authority. He has exclusive authority. Look again at the words of verse 6. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way. I am. Any claim that anyone makes is judged on the authority of the one who is speaking. 
If I turned up in your office or classroom tomorrow morning and said, listen, uh, the way you're planning to run this meeting or teach this class isn't right, uh, here's how I think you should do it. Well, you would say, hopefully, thank you, Pastor, for the sermon yesterday, but today this is, this is my area of expertise. Uh, I've been trained in this. This is how I've been told to run this meeting. Um, I have been doing this for 10, 20, 30 years and quite frankly, you have no authority to come in here today and tell me how to teach this class. And you would be absolutely right. The person you're going to listen to about how to run your meeting or teach your class is your colleague or your superior, the people who have trained you, the people who have given you the opportunity to do this job. And you see, we agree with the world around us. For any ordinary person to claim to be the exclusive way to God would be arrogant and foolish in the extreme. None of us can claim to speak with any more authority than anybody else about how to get to heaven in and of ourselves. What do we know about it? None of us have ever been to heaven. We've never seen it. But where did Jesus come from? John 6.38 Behold, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus has exclusive authority to make this exclusive claim. And this is what we've seen all through our time looking at the I am statements of Jesus. He says I am very deliberately, very pointedly, because it harkens back to the words of God himself in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 3, when he called Moses to go to Egypt, he said, tell the Israelites, I am has sent you. I am pointing to the fact that he is the eternal God, that he is a God like no other, that he is holy, that he is from everlasting to everlasting, that he is the true and living God. And Jesus says, I am that God. I am the one who has come down from heaven. And because I have come down from heaven, I am the only way back to heaven. And again, Jesus spent his life providing the evidence to back up his claim. Do you remember as he calmed the storm on the lake, the disciples said, who is this? Who has authority to speak and wind and waves come to a halt? As he taught his disciples with the crowds listening on, people said, a new teaching and one with authority. Never heard anybody else speak like this, no matter how educated, no matter how religious they were. This man, this ordinary, apparently ordinary man from Nazareth, he speaks with authority we've never heard before. As he healed the sick and raised the dead and cast out demons, the people said, no one ever did the things this man did. We considered a few weeks ago at our outreach meetings how either you believe everything Jesus said about himself and so you trust him and you follow him, including the fact that he has said, I have come down from heaven. In which case he has exclusive authority to say everything that he says and does. Or else you reject him altogether. But you can't do is sit on the fence. You can't give the cross of Jesus Christ a sixth share on a space in the window. He doesn't fit with any of the others. Muhammad only claimed to be a prophet. The Buddha only claimed to be more enlight- a more enlightened person than everybody else. Moses and David and Abraham 
are dead and gone, though their souls live on in glory, Jesus Christ is in a category all of his own. No one else says what Jesus says. I am the way, the eternal, everlasting, all-powerful, everywhere present God has himself come down to the earth, come to us and said these things. So Jesus makes an exclusive claim and he makes it with the exclusive authority of God himself. And thirdly and finally, Jesus' words here, they are an exclusive offer. They are an exclusive offer. Jesus says to Thomas, no one comes to the Father except through me. And again, we live in a culture that would say that's very offensive. Well, remember again that the burning building, as you frantically look for an exit, and then the architect appears, and he says to you, because of where we are and how bad the fire is, there is only one way out. I'll take you to it. Would you turn to the architect with the smoke rising and the heat of the fire blazing and say, now wait a minute, you're telling me you're not going to offer me several other ways out. You're making exclusive, absolute claims about how I need to get out of this building. I'm sorry, I just don't accept that. I think one way would be as good as another. Of course you wouldn't say any of that. He's the architect. You gratefully, immediately, hastily entrust yourself to the person who says, this is the way. And the people who are so strongly opposed to this message of Jesus Christ, they they simply do not realize the danger they're in. It's like trying to debate with the architect while the building falls down around you. And so we have to tell them that they are in danger, that they are sinners as we are, that they have angered a holy God, a God of wrath, a God of justice, and that holy fire is heading toward them. That's why Jesus' words, friends, are not offensive, but gracious. It's gracious of Christ to say these words. That you and I, despite our sin and rebellion, can be right with God, can have a place in heaven, can enjoy fellowship with him forever. That's gracious. It's not offensive. It's an exclusively gracious offer. And that's the offer that Jesus makes to you and to me today. The light of the world who went into the darkness of the cross, the one who came down from heaven and then offered up his body in our place for our sins, bearing the penalty that our sins deserved. His words are a warning, but they're also an offer. Everyone who comes to the Father through me will be saved. The only an obvious question for you today is, do you believe the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the way and the truth and the, and the life? You can believe him and still have questions. You can believe him and still have things that you need to change or get rid of or things that you still want to better understand. But you cannot hope to enjoy forgiveness for your sins or life after death if you do not put your trust in this exclusive claim of Jesus Christ and take this exclusive offer that he makes. We get offered things all the time in our consumeristic culture, don't we? Some offers are better than others. Some offers are genuine, some are not. Uh, This week a a man came to our door offering us faster broadband for less than 
half the price of what we were already paying. Fantastic. And as we chatted to him and made sure all was, all was as he was claiming it was, thankfully we were able to take him up on that offer. But even the best and most worthwhile exclusive offers, they, they have an expiry date. Whether it's cheaper broadband or a great big discount on a product, somewhere it will usually say, offer ends. 31st of October, 25th of November, whatever it may be. This exclusive offer of Jesus ends at the moment that you take your last breath or at the moment that he returns to this world, whichever of those two comes first. So you need to take it now. His offer ends on the day you die or the day of his return. We'll be coming back to the book of Revelation next week, God willing. As I was studying it this past week, one of the most sobering parts of that book, as we'll see, is that it describes the final judgment, as, as we've seen already, it describes the final judgment several times throughout the book. But it says that those who had not been worshipping God up until that point did not repent. They will not repent. They will be unable to repent. It will be too late. The offer will have expired. There will be no further opportunity. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. While you hear him saying to you today, I am the way and the truth and the life. As I said on Friday night, there's a lot we don't know about heaven. There's a lot we can't grasp about heaven. But if you accept this offer from Christ, you're already where you need to be. You're united to him. You're joined with him. You're in the way and on the way. Christ is in you and you're in him and nothing in all the world will be able to separate you from him. And that's what we come together to celebrate and remember here at the table today. It's why we take bread and wine. The bread and wine remind us it was only Jesus' body and only Jesus' blood that could be offered up and that could be shed for us to be saved. And he gives it to us. There's no mountain to climb. There's no wheel to spin. There's no prayers to recite. We simply take what Christ offers and we celebrate the fact that we are united to him, redeemed by him, saved by him. And him alone. He holds out this exclusive offer to you today. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen.